safe to say the Green Party has had better weeks. First, there were the whisperings. Greens co-leader James Shaw is brushing off the threat of a fresh challenge to his status in the party. Its annual general meeting is this weekend and members of the youth arm are preparing to force a vote on its leadership. Then, the uprising. James Shaw, who was ousted at the party's AGM at the weekend by a minority of party delegates, still hasn't decided if he'll put his name forward again. Support was less than full-throated from some quarters, including James Shaw's parliamentary colleagues like Elizabeth Kedekede. Is James Shaw too moderate? Mm. Too moderate. The... <laughs> is it a yes? <laughs> James Shaw is obviously on the more moderate side of our membership. People like myself, Tiano, more on the activist side of the membership. In fact, some of the most enthusiastic endorsements came from some rather unexpected places, the leaders of both the main parties. He has an incredible understanding of very complex area. He works hard to build relationships. And in my mind, he has helped us as a government to make the most significant changes in climate action that any government has made. James Shaw is someone I respect a lot. Um, I consider him a friend. And um, I've always appreciated his collaborative approach and the way that he actually works with um, trying to get cross-party consensus. Which, in a sense, fitted the narrative. James is a good person for the Labour Party. James is a good person for the Labour Party. But in the end, even though the chance was there, so far, nobody else has chosen to step up. I've never made it a secret that I've not aspired for a title or for a position. I'm here to do the work. Elizabeth Kerekere, who openly considered the role, declared this morning she would not be running. Yeah, I'm not rolling anything in, not rolling anything out, just kind of giving it a, giving it a think and maybe you guys will stop chasing me down the hallways. In a sense, this is a classic Green Party problem. Balancing idealism with pragmatism. What is right versus what is achievable. What the grassroots want versus what the politicians can get. So today on The Detail, where does all this leave the Greens? This curious party where activists and environmentalists and unionists and social justice warriors come together, who prize consensus and democracy, who want to stay clean while still swimming in the muddy waters of power. Thomas Coughlin is a senior political reporter with the New Zealand Herald. The irony of this is that, like, the left in 2020 did too well. Labour got over 50%, didn't they? The Greens, they had very little power, but significant responsibility. And it's an, a fascinating hypothetical, right, as if, if Labour had performed slightly worse yeah. in that election, if National had done slightly better, uh, and the Greens had had a much better negotiating position, would we, be in, would we be in this place? The Greens could really have had Labour over a barrel in 2020, and they didn't because Labour just did too well. And actually, as you know, it's a bit of journalistic colour. I was covering the Greens on the night of the 2020 election, and I think they had three parties that, that were happening that night. There was a, the official Green Party party, and there were a couple of after parties, one for Chloe Swarbrick and one for the party as a whole. And it was really interesting in that party. There were people for whom... It had sunk in yet that this was actually a bad result for the Greens, and there were people for whom the numbers were just the numbers, and they were they were euphoric about the fact that the the, the left had just absolutely taken it to the right in that election, something that they'd been fighting for decades for. But it was very interesting. Just as the clock got closer to midnight and, and into the wee small hours of the day, 
some people were kind of twigging that actually, you know, when, when we woke up the next day, it wouldn't be as great for the Greens as perhaps they, they'd hoped. And really, what power the Greens have in, in, in this government exists at Ardern's um, pleasure, really. Kevin Haig is a former Green MP who took on James Shaw for the party leadership in 2015 and lost. I began by asking him about the Green conundrum, compromise, when you're a party of activists. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. I mean, that's a significant issue, and it's a bigger issue for the Greens, I think, than than for at least most other parties. So perhaps being unfair in talking about some political parties as adopting policies not because they are manifestations of their philosophy or deep policy, but because these seem like they would be electoral vote winners. If you're making policy on that basis, there's probably not a lot of compromise that you're going to need because the policy that you adopt is is, is, is going to be pretty anodyne. Mm. Whereas for the Greens, you've got a lot of people who do come from activist roots who have very strongly held philosophical beliefs that are consistent with the Green Party Charter and, and all of the policies are reflections of that. Some of those policy positions will immediately resonate with the public, but some other policies are going to be a long way from what other political parties are prepared to agree to. So there's going to be a lot of compromising. And the question really is the extent to which you can persuade the members of the party that the gains that are being made are worth the compromises. The Green Party is currently discussing a proposed confidence and supply arrangement uh, with a new Labour-led government. Um, We are very excited about this opportunity uh, and uh, it does include uh, ministers for the first time uh, in the Green Party's history. If you're a member of the party, if you're an act, you know, an activist member of the party or a grassroots member of the party or one of these delegates who voted against James Shaw, you know, maybe you make the argument like, actually, you know, we are an activist party. We have activist supporters and we have activist roots and we are extreme in what we think should happen and what we demand because extreme action from our point of view is required. And this activism and urgency, which is really important to the party, is kind of anathema to the incrementalist approach that the party is taking? Oh, absolutely. And I think this is one of the questions that the Green Party is going to ask itself in the next year is, yeah, what sort of party do they want to be? Do they want to be an activist party? Because, you know, like we have a sort of framework in New Zealand of thinking that the only reason of doing politics is to get into government um, because that's what most of our parties want to do. Um, but, yeah, like if, if you think that the, the purpose of the party is to make a case for political change in Parliament by arguing that point and very rarely going into government because you just can't stomach the swallowing of dead rats, as, as, um, as many MPs would, do it, would, would put it. That's a totally tenable position. The voice that's kind of missing from that is, and the, the sort of, this whole dust-up has been the tension between those groups, the leadership and where they're taking the party, the delegates and how they feel about that, and the members and how they feel about that. The voice that's missing is the voters. Uh, which is, you know, number 200,000 people, and no one actually knows what would happen to them if the Greens did emerge from this leadership contest and said, and made it clear that actually, you know, we value government a lot less than what we said we did at the 2020 election. 
and if the members and the delegates decide that that is what they you know what the outcome is and, and yesterday Marama Davidson openly and, and Tiano Tuyono on the the, the the tiles yesterday openly mused about just walking away from the cooperation agreement if that's what um, the members told them that, that they wanted and that's in quite a literal and explicit message to voters like yep no we, we value that activism tendency more than we value government at the 2023 election which isn't that far away it would be interesting to see what the Green Party voters think of that um, and I guess the the, the, the supposition which is, hasn't been tested yet is that Green Party voters probably value going into government quite highly and uh, the sort of allegation made by the kind of shore wing is, um, is, is if the party quite explicitly said actually we don't really care about government as much as, as, as we might have said we would, then the vote would collapse, potentially below 5%. You have to understand that the Green Party comes from a very strong activist base, right? And these are people who for decades bash their heads against the brick wall of inertia. So there is a level of frustration at the slow pace of government. And I share that frustration. It drives me absolutely wild. Are there, do, do you think there are factions within the Green Party? Uh, yeah, I, th- I think there are factions within every party. There are organising groups within the party, which are these are actual entities that exist. Um, so there's the Green Left Network, which is an organisation of of the Green Party's most left wing um, members. And actually, to become a member of that, part of their organising principle is a commitment to. I think it's it's either anti capitalism or Marxism. Uh-huh. So it is it is so you, you, you if you sign up to that, you kind of agree broadly with the tenets that. Of, of of those views, you don't you don't think capitalism is um is good. I thought you were going to say they had to swear a blood oath. <laughs> no, that's uh, I'm sure there are parties that do that, but <laughs> they have to perform some arcane ritual. Well, the, there was Morris dancing at a previous Green Party <laughs> Indeed. AGM, Indeed. so that, yeah. that, you know there is there was that. So, but yes, but but that's you know, and and you think, you know, James Shaw in the last Parliament was the Associate Minister of Finance, <laughs> so anti capitalism rubs against that quite strongly. Um, and, and their organising principle is, yes, quite quite um, powerfully leftist. I mean, I think the, the, the thing that people most under, misunderstand about the Greens and New Zealanders is, is this whole blue-green thing, which has been floating around for a while, because blue-greens are kind of a thing overseas. Um, and this is a... Blue-greens are people who commit to the environment, quite like environmentalism, but are broadly capitalist at heart and, and, and probably sit more closely with the centre of the Labour Party or the left of the National Party. And the Greens have always been an, a social justice party. And I think the, the, the fundamental kind of Green Party worldview, which is shared, I think, by, broadly by members, is that environmentalism and climate change are social justice issues because the climate crisis will hurt people who are already marginalised the most, and they see them as, as, as the same issue. So there isn't I think people who, think, who believe that social justice is not a part of a certain faction of the, the Green Party are wrong. Social justice is a part of every part of the Green Party. And the idea that you could strip social justice out is just ludicrous. That's such an interesting point because I, I think one of the narratives that is sort of emerging around the Greens is the idea that, like, the Greens are an environmentalist party and now it's branching out into areas, you know, UBIs yeah. and trans <laughs> rights, uh, decolonisation. These are way outside the remits mm. of the Green Party. The Green Party is about environmentalism and um, planting more trees and, you know, wearing hemp pants and stuff like that. <laughs> you, you seem to be saying that's, that's misguided, that the environmentalism is part of a wider social justice philosophy. 
Yes, absolutely. I, and, and I think it's been like that. Gareth Hughes, the former Green Party MP, has just published a book about Jeanette Fitzsimons. And, and you look through the Green Party, which has kind of had about a 50-year history, making it pretty old, like that's half the history of the Labour Party. And social justice has always been there. In fact, it's been there from the very beginning. This is from a 1990 interview Paul Holmes did with the Greens convener, Heather Wallace, as she launched the party's Wellington Council campaign. Green issues do concern people at the moment and they're becoming more and more obvious. Well, think of things like the greenhouse effect, the ozone destruction, issues like these going right back down to things that affect all our lives like social problems and the things that happen in the city, just even taking down old buildings within Wellington. These are issues that are affecting people. We believe if we say that these are issues that we're going to concern ourselves with, then people will be interested. The people who were not so social justice who were more environmentalism plus capitalism, have always splintered off. And talks are quietly afoot to set up a new political party, which would focus on the environment but not be wedded to the political left. The former Green Party leadership contender and wannabe National Party candidate Vernon Tava says he's been contacted by a number of people in favour of a new party, but stresses it's early days. I think the allegation that's made that that there is a social justice part of the Green Party which has sort of infected it is not true. The social justice has always been part of the Green Party. And you, and you look at any Green Party MPs, I think it's possibly true that it's more part of the Green Party than it was previously. I mean, in the last election, Kennedy Graham splintered off two, two elections ago because of the Materia Today scandal. Kennedy Graham and David Clendon are likely to be suspended from the caucus and potentially expelled from the party altogether. Yesterday, the MPs threatened to resign unless Materia Ture stepped down from the party's leadership. They said Mrs Ture's position on benefit fraud made her no longer fit to be co-leader. That perhaps was a question over what the party valued more. But the Green Party never kind of... Uh, I mean, it wasn't in Parliament when homosexuality, for example, was de- decriminalised. But, you know, you just can't imagine the Green Party ever not taking a strong... like the strongest view on that sort of stuff. It's part of the... History and I guess in a in a sense it makes a bit of sense for those issues to be taking up more energy for the Greens in the sense that environmentalism has is becoming more mainstream. You know, it's it's less of a unique selling point to the Greens now, and so they they need to yeah. they need to stay to stay relevant. There's a, there's a line that some parts of the Greens have said, and, and, and it's never attributed to anyone, because when I quote who I'm going to quote, you can see why it's an absolute like, poison for the Green Party. <laughs> but they say that there's this Mar- Margaret Thatcher quote. She was asked, what, what is her greatest success? And she, she replied, Tony Blair. The fact that to become the, the Prime Minister of the UK, the Labour Party had to become a Thatcherite party. And that, for some of the Greens, is considered a measure of success. You know, like what is like what is what is the current Green Party's greatest success? Is that in ten years' time, when you know, if you're a betting person, the National Party would probably be in government. The governing piece of climate change legislation will be one that was written up by James Short, and that is a huge victory. Mr. Speaker, some things are too big for politics, and the biggest of them all is climate change. Let's talk quickly about James Short. How do you think he's done? What do you think his biggest achievements as as climate change minister have been? There's a couple of things I'd say about that. With James at the helm, I guess, of the government's climate 
policy in the last term, so the 2017 to 20. So the achievements of, of that government, they themselves said that they had done more in three years than all previous governments put together. And I think that's true. James in particular and the Greens deserve an enormous amount of credit for that. Negotiating that multilateral commitment to the Zero Carbon Act and the creation of the Climate Change Commission, I mean, those are very considerable achievements and they would have been hard to do. So uh, that's an enormous achievement. In this term of Parliament, and I think James himself said in the last term, uh, we created the architecture for the, a proper response to climate change. In this term, we need to use that architecture to deliver an emphatic response. So I think the government in this term has so far completely failed to nail that emphatic response to climate change. From outside, I look, I look at that and say, is there failure to capitalise on that opportunity in this in this term to actually do what, what was needed with that architecture because the Greens are in a relatively weaker position? So every, every decision that James needs to secure on climate change, he's got to persuade a cabinet full of people from another party who actually don't need the Greens' votes to pass any legislation in Parliament. So you're saying it's 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 more down to the party's weaker hand than it is down to the the leader being too moderate or too yeah. willing to compromise. Yeah, it, it, exactly right. Now, one of the leading young members of the Green Party is stepping aside. I am, as I've said, concerned about the the centrist drift of the party, particularly under James Shaw's leadership. There's this idea that James Shaw is a moderate. I mean, this is something that's espoused by members of his own party, yet. What you described before in terms of getting broad support from all corners of the House for the Zero Carbon Act, the establishment of the Climate Change Commission and the infrastructure that's in place around that, these are not moderate achievements. Yes, uh, yeah, no, he's, uh, I mean, he's, he's a moderate in the Green Party because the Green Party is the political home of the left. I think that, you know, the funny thing about the Green Party is that it's every bit the broad church that the National Party is. There are some people in the Green Party who are incredibly left-wing, and then there are some people in the Green Party who are like James Shaw, who are incredibly left-wing, but some people would describe him as being on the right wing of the Green Party. Mm. I, th- I think one of the other things, actually, um, one of the more interesting things as well and in the Green Party... The Young Greens a couple of years ago went on this really good spin-off series on youth youth par- uh, parliamentary wings. It's fantastic. And yeah. it was great. So good. Um, and the, the co-conveners of the Young Greens quite openly expressed sort of anxiety about Parliament itself being a colonialist institution. Parliament is a Westminster colonial structure and I think that the, um, yeah, thank you, uh, that the mahi that we're doing within the Young Greens is pushing from within without having to, you know, like really be bound by that. And the Green Party's participation in that, that is what the Green Party is debating all the time. And so you have someone like James Shaw who, you know, probably believes that as an argument of, of, of historical fact. But I think, you know, wakes up in the morning and is like, right, well, how do I solve the climate crisis? Mm. I've got to get the Nets to agree to this. I've got to get New Zealand first to agree to that. I've got to do this, this and this. Am I going to openly express anxiety about the suitability of Parliament as a as a colonialist institution? That's probably not the, the battle I'm going to fight today. But, but within the Green Party, that is a sort of a question. 
And that's always been a question in the Green Party because of that activist root, uh, root the, the activist roots that they have. You know, that this is a party that is fighting all the time about even its its own existence in a system which is, is something that it disagrees with. I mean, one of the reasons that I agreed to this interview is that James and I uh, obviously contested the co-leadership mm. um, back in 2015. And, you know, James was the victor and, and, and I lost. And I think one of the things that the party chose between the two of us was that James was able to uh, appeal to perhaps a group of potential voters or stakeholders that I wouldn't have been as good at appealing to. <laughs> um, and I, he now seems to be being punished <laughs> for exactly that. And yet both of us had signed up to the Green Party Charter. James had been a member of the Green Party and contested elections on behalf of the Green Party uh, since he was a teenager. You know, he is... He is deeply embedded in the Green Party's policies and kaupapa and is simply the fact, I think, that uh, that he comes across as milder, uh, more open to compromise and uh, working with others. And, you know, he really oughtn't to be punished for those uh, those attributes. Why do you have to make compromises on the carbon zero bill? Because under MMP, uh, you know, there are many parties in Parliament and they've all got different views. I was going to give you a binary choice. I was going to say, do you think that the future of the Green Party is closer to the James Shaw side of things or the, you know, Marama Davidson, Elizabeth Kirikiri side of things? But it occurs to me that actually maybe there's a third option, and that is a healthy tension between those two sides of the party, as as we're sort of seeing at the moment. Maybe that's just an, an inevitability in the Greens, and actually it's a strength, not a weakness. Yeah, I, and I do think it's a strength, not a weakness. I think the, I, you you know, if you if you have a party that is like um, stripped of activism. Then you just don't have the Green Party anymore. But at the same time, if you if you lose the kind of James Shaw people with ministerial ambitions, you kind of lose the that direction, or the, the he's sort of a, a, a lightning rod for for political issues, um, or the opposite of you know something that directs energy outward. So you, you need you need them both, and there is a healthy tension. It's like the National Party talks about the tension between the Liberals and the Conservatives within the National Party. A lot of parties have internal tensions, and I think it's quite cyclical that. I think one of the things, one of the reasons why we're seeing this at the moment is that the sort of governmental shore wing of the party got complacent and didn't really show up on the day of the AGM uh, to to vote in favour of him. And I think this episode might have actually activated the radical moderates, as they're often quite humorously called, and encouraged them to actually, you know, stand up and be counted. I think they, they for a long time, they probably thought that they were in control of the Green Party and and potentially not not concerned enough with the internal party democracy and and likewise you know the James Shaw and the compromises that he's made has very much activated the frustrated activist base and that's why they were so successful at this and I think potentially as the Green Party as this government uh, inevitably sort of pejorative saying it falls apart but all governments die you know this government will eventually cease to exist and as the Green Party as the government tumbles apart and and as the Green Party tumbles tumbles out of it I imagine. The activists will take control of the party, probably, and go into opposition very strong and very keen to make the case for 
why the Greens didn't do enough in government. And then I imagine over the next sort of decade or so, you'll slowly see the moderates kind of make some accommodation with the radicals and get ready for government again as the political pendulum swings the other way. You know, politics is, the, you know, it's, it's so trite, but one of the inevitable rules of politics is that it is quite cyclical. Mm-hmm. And I think that the tussle for control between, you know, I think potentially an oversimplification between the activists and the moderates, but, but the, you know, there is... That tussle will result in, in some really strong positions, I think, being taken on the Greens when they go into opposition. I think they'll get, they'll get quite radical in opposition. And then, then they will reach an accommodation of whether or not those positions are worth never going into government again. I think they'll probably end up in, you know, that, will, that tension will resolve itself and then another governing leadership, co-leadership pair will emerge and goodness knows what median temperatures will be like then. <laughs> That's it for today. I'm Emil Donovan. The Detail is public interest journalism funded through New Zealand On Air and produced by Newsroom for RNZ. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. Today's episode was engineered by William Saunders and produced by Alexia Russell. Bonnie Harrison is our associate producer. And thanks to Kevin Haig and the Herald's Thomas Coughlin. Ka kite anō. <laughs>